All right. Good evening. Welcome back to A Minor Detail. We do the show every Sunday night at 9 o'clock p.m. That's Eastern Standard Time. You can find us on the Blog Talk Radio Network at blogtalkradio.com slash A Minor Detail. And, of course, we are on the web at aminordetail.com. Tonight I have a special guest. Uh, he is a Democrat, and he is a 6th Congressional District candidate. That's the 6th Congressional District candidate here in the state of Maryland, um, and his name is Andrew Duck, and Andrew's going to join us for about an hour, and we're going to talk all about his campaign. We're going to talk about some of the issues, and we'll get into it. So, um, Andrew, welcome to the show. I appreciate you being on. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, sir. You are no stranger to politics in Western Maryland, especially in the 6th District, and uh, what's the old phrase? This is not your first go-around. Uh, you've <laughs> you've been a candidate for this office before, um, back I believe in 2006, and then 2010, um, and then you ran in 2008. Is that also correct? Um, that, that is correct. Uh, I was the nominee, the Democratic nominee in 2006 and 2010, uh, and uh, it was a very different district back then. Uh, the district uh, has since uh, been changed. About 50% of the people who are now in the district were not in the district then. Um, and so consequently, 50% of the people who used to be in the district got dropped off. Um, yeah. So uh, just to familiarize people with the district, uh, when, I, when I was the nominee in uh, 2006 and 2010, it included all of Western Maryland, which means all of Garrett, Allegheny, Washington, Frederick counties. It also included all of of uh, Carroll County. It included the northern portion of Baltimore County, and it included the northern portion of Harford County. So it extended all the way from far western Maryland all the way to the where the Susquehanna River comes into the state of Maryland to form the top of the Chesapeake Bay. That's wow. how uh, the district used to be. So it's now a more compact district. Uh, we only have we have all of uh, Garrett, Allegheny, and Washington County, but we do not have all of Frederick County. Uh, the sixth district now has the southern part of Frederick County plus the city of Frederick. And then it has, uh, in essence, it follows the Potomac River uh, uh, portion of Montgomery County, uh, and it extends. It doesn't have the. It extends all the way down to the Washington D.C. Beltway. Uh, if you look at uh, where the 270 spur hits the Baltimore, the 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 Beltway, it goes all the way down to that section. Although we don't have the city of Rockville. The city of Rockville has been retained in the 8th Congressional District, so it extends both north and south of Rockville, but does not have the city of Rockville. So we've got places like um, a significant part of uh, Potomac, uh, a little piece of Aspen Hill, uh, but all, almost all of Gaithersburg, uh, Germantown, uh, Clarksburg, Poolsville, so all of basically what they generally refer to as Up County, uh, Montgomery County. I, I didn't know that 
the previous district <clears throat> before it was gerrymandered was it, it went to Harford County. That's I actually learned something new tonight. I, did, I had no idea that it all extended all the way up into Harford County. That's that's huge. And, and it's interesting because people refer to the district as having been gerrymandered. This district was much more gerrymandered before. Uh, during the previous 10 years, uh, basically what the state legislature had done is taken every Republican they could find this side of the Chesapeake Bay and put them all into one district so that they could ensure Democratic victories everywhere else. This was their throwaway district. They just they, – and it's a process referred to as packing – where they packed all the Republicans they could find into one district. Um, and, and so the district today uh, is the most balanced district in the state. Um, they took a lot of those, that, of the 50% that they took out of the 6th, they put those together with the Eastern Shore to make uh, a, a, a throwaway Republican district that consists of the Eastern Shore and those areas, instead of Western Maryland in those areas. Um, and so this is a district that only, I mean, John Delaney, uh, four years ago, only carried this district by about 2,000 votes. He got 49% of the vote. So you can't get much closer in terms of, uh, of balance than that. Well, we'll talk about the elections um, previously, but I want to talk about you as a person and your background. You are from Brunswick, so you are one of the candidates running in this district now, and um, you, by the way, and incidentally, are the first candidate to officially file with the Maryland State Board of Elections. Um, so you are now a registered candidate and the first one to jump in. Actually, you know what? I think George Gluck, who is of the Green Party, was the first to jump in, um, but I don't think he – most likely he won't have a primary. I think he'll go right into the general election, if, if that's – if I understand that correctly. I, I, I don't know. I know uh, George Gluck ex expressed his intent to run. Uh, I don't know that he had filed with the state of Maryland because when I was down at the state of Maryland, I specifically asked, had anybody else filed for the 6th District? And oh. they told me no. So, oh, okay, uh, but he may well, have filed that... since then. Uh, so I mean, and I'm not, uh, I'm not saying anything. I've met, uh, I've met Mr. Gluck. He's a uh, seems to be a, a decent gentleman. What I find most interesting is is that um, you have a very unique career, but also that you you live in the, the district, Brunswick, um, a small community in Frederick County. Really neat place to live. I love Brunswick. It's uh, one of the staple communities in Western Maryland in Frederick County. Um, you are running. You live there. You've, you've lived there for quite some time. You've run there before. And it looks like some of the candidates who haven't run or uh, who haven't run for the district previously or may run again, they don't live inside the district. And there's nothing – I'm not saying that there's good, bad, or indifferent, but it, you have a sense that perhaps running – in living inside the district could help you and being that you're already an established name um, would give you an advantage in a democratic primary. Um, I, I do think so. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, most people 
Uh, the average voter just assumes that you have to be a resident of a district in order to run for office in that district. That is not the case with U.S. Congress. You do have to be a resident of the state, but not the district. So while, and you're right, there are at least a half a dozen candidates uh, from Montgomery County who are all considering running for this seat, and about half of them don't even live in the district. But uh, in all fairness, uh, the the current incumbent doesn't live in the district, uh, and that you know, and that was known when he got elected. Uh, the last Republican uh, candidate that ran against him, Ami Hoover, she does not live in the district. Uh, the candidate before that, Dan Bongino, he did not live in the district. So uh, I'm a little distressed uh, um, by the number of candidates uh, for this office that don't even live in the district. Uh, and, and I think it's important. I, I mean, not only do I, uh, do I live in the district uh, today, I've lived here in Brunswick for 13 years, uh, ever since I retired from the military. Uh, but I graduated from high school in Frederick County. Uh, my wife uh, was born in Frederick City. She graduated from Seneca Valley in Montgomery County, which is now part of the district. Um, my Two of my three children were born in Frederick. Uh, so I've got, I've got long ties uh, here in the area. And I think it helps. I think... It's an interesting district because, really, if you look at the composition of the 6th as it exists today, you've got western Maryland, which is essentially rural, and you've got Montgomery County, which is essentially a suburb of Washington, D.C. And uh, having grown up in Frederick County, uh, you kind of get both of those worlds. Uh, I worked down in, in D.C. for uh, my my regular job, uh, but I understand what it's like to have grown up in a rural area uh, like we have here in Frederick County. So uh, I think you need an understanding of both of those worlds. There's very different perspectives on life, uh, and yeah. it's helpful to understand the needs of the people who you want to represent if you've actually lived there and been among them and you understand uh, what their values are, what their culture is, and can understand uh, how really the the two, while different, aren't in conflict. Yeah. Well, your bio is certainly unique, and I read that you are the 15th of 17 children. 17. Is that is that accurate? Accurate. Uh, I... I this is not this is not a a fact. It's just my opinion that my mother was a saint, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, so yes, I am the fifteenth out of seventeen kids. And I it was interesting because when I ran before, people insisted I put that on my literature, and I was like, why would I put that on my literature? It has nothing to do. I didn't do a thing to become the fifteenth of seventeen kids except for be born. Uh, but I said, no, you have to put that on there. Uh, and I found when I was handing out my literature, it was the number one comment that people read and and reacted to. And it's something that they remembered. Um, and then people pointed out to me that, no, you it actually does 
impact who you are. Part of the reason that I get along with so many people is because for my whole life I've had to get along with so many people. Uh, <laughs> um, and you, if you grow up as the 15 to 17 kids, you learn that you're part of a team and what you do has impact on others. If you say, take too long in the shower, then that means everybody else is off schedule. Uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you, you learn teamwork, you learn cooperation, you learn the importance of uh, the fact that you do need to compromise uh, sometimes in order to come up with a solution that works for everybody <laughs> and that it's it's important that we come up with a solution that works for everybody and not just a solution that works for a few people. So, Andrew, you went to – you were a graduate of the Middletown High School in Middletown, and then you um, earned your, a bachelor's degree in public administration from Southwest Texas State University, and then you married your wife, Whitney, in 1981, and then you have three children. Well, and Go ahead. I'm sorry. So the, the order on that is a little – uh, all of those statements are true, but not necessarily in that order. So let me uh, back up. So I graduated in 1979 from Middletown High School, and the following summer I met my wife, uh, Whitney. We we both were working at uh, what was then a Montgomery Wards at Fredericktown Mall. <laughs> Remember that? Uh, there's a Home Depot there now. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's where we met, and we started dating. Um and uh, I actually, uh, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but uh, actually I, I got my girlfriend pregnant when I was 17. Uh, and so we had a child even before we got married. And, in fact, our, our son Brandon uh, was born premature. He was mm -hmm. born weighing only 3 pounds, 10 ounces, wow. uh, and had some associated uh, medical complications because of that. Uh, and so what I did, being you know uh, a young person with a sick child and needing health care that would cover a pre-existing condition, is I joined the Army. Yeah. Um, and so I enlisted in the Army when I was 19 years old, started out as a private first class, uh, stayed in the Army. I, you know, uh, worked hard, did my job, uh, and I actually did, I had a, a break in service, but uh, then went back in and uh, did a total of 20 years. During wow. that time, I got my degree from Southwest Texas State University in Texas. I was stationed at Fort Sam Houston in Texas. And so I did uh, my, my coursework uh, at Southwest Texas State, which is in San Marcos, Texas, um, it's now just called Texas State University. They've changed the name, interestingly enough. Wow. Um, but uh, over the course of my Army career, I actually have attended eight different colleges or universities on two continents. Uh, because every time you move in the Army, you have to kind of start over at a new school. Um, and so it took me six colleges and universities to get my bachelor's degree. Uh, but since then, I've done graduate work. I did uh, graduate study in economics at University of Oklahoma. Uh, but I went to University of Oklahoma at Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii while I was stationed in 25th Infantry Division. Um, so, wow. Uh, so my my education has not been the traditional, you know, you go to school and you join the fraternity and you hang out at the dorm and get drunk every night. Uh 
um, that that many people enjoy as a college life. Uh, my college was uh, I worked. A, got up early in the morning, went out, ran ran PT, uh, then did a full that. day's worth of work, and then I went to school at night. Uh, and and hopefully in between classes I could uh, squeeze in a little bit of time to go see my kids play in little league or whatever you have to do in order to to get your college degree. So. It's, um, that's that's incredible. And I want to talk about your military service because it certainly is something that I think is a – that trains – that is just a undeniable um, precursor into public service. Um, you became a member of the U.S. Army, um, and then um, you worked yourself um, up to administrative non-commissioned officer. But then you ultimately became an officer. Is that correct, Andrew? That's correct. I started out as, uh, as as basically a company clerk, uh, became a, you know, a, a non-commissioned officer, served as a, a PSNCO, a personnel services NCO, and an administrative NCO in a variety of organizations. Um, I then I actually had a, a break in service. I got out and worked as a financial consultant for a little while. But when the Gulf War kicked off, uh, I went back in, uh, figuring that. They needed, you know, I, I also was trained as a postal clerk, uh, among other things. And so figuring that, you know, they needed people. Uh, but instead of anything having to do with the Gulf War, they sent me to uh, language school to become a Korean linguist, uh, to, as wow. I say, conjugate verbs for freedom. Uh, <laughs> um, so I spent a year uh, going through the Korean course. Uh, and became a Korean linguist, a electronic warfare signal interceptor. So um, have a, a background in the uh, they didn't call it cyber back then, uh, but I've got a background in the the whole electronic warfare business. Uh, and then from there went to officer candidate school and became a military intelligence officer. Uh, after commissioning, I did three deployments in support of operations in Bosnia. Uh, and then I did one deployment uh, on the ground in Iraq in 2003. Uh, and and after that, I, I came home and I submitted my retirement. Uh, I think in Bosnia, we showed exactly how American military power could be used uh, effectively. Right. And when it came to Iraq, uh, a lot of people say we didn't have a plan. No, there there was a plan. Uh, they just didn't let us follow it, and uh, we found I found that there was so much interference from Washington, and requiring us to do things that just were doomed to failure. Uh, that I I said, look, I I can't help you anymore, and I submitted my retirement. Wow. So so let's talk some politics tonight. And you're running for the sixth district, and we know that the the, the incumbent he is possibly considering a bid for governor in 2018, along with another a long list of other candidates. Congressman John Delaney had, was first elected in 2012. He ran against Rob Garagiola and beat him in the primary. And as you mentioned earlier, in fairness, the congressman, the incumbent, that is John Delaney, lives outside in the district, but just over the border um, in Potomac, the the district line literally extends like within um, a few hundred yards of uh, the sixth district. So, um, so John Delaney's considering running for Congress, but 
or for governor, but he hasn't announced yet. And we're, we're all hearing this speculation. And you told me back when you first announced at um, down in Montgomery County when you were doing a kickoff event, you said, you know, look, you had sat down and talked with him. Um, and he told you that you'd make a fine candidate, and but he hasn't given any definitive statement about his future intentions. But we all sort of assume that there's higher office for Congressman Delaney, and that's great. He's done a, a, a solid job. But Andrew, here's the thing is that he hasn't made any definitive action by taking the steps in the direction of running for governor. He hasn't opened an estate account um yet and there's plenty of time but um do you think that there's a possibility he could still run for re-election in in the sixth district um there are as i say with the lord all things are possible uh there are (laughs) there is a host of possibilities uh and and he may uh and and i certainly respect congressman delaney's uh right to take as long as as he needs to to make his decision, but I'm in a situation. My situation is very different from from Congressman Delaney. Congressman Delaney uh, has has all the resources in the world. Uh, he's very well off financially. Uh, he has uh, generally self funded his campaigns, so he doesn't have to worry about uh, going out doing fundraising, building grassroots support in order to support that fundraising. Uh, my process inherently takes longer. I've got to get out. I've got to start by uh, building that base, reconnecting with everybody from Western Maryland who I've already uh, worked with uh, in past campaigns. But plus, 50% of this ca- of this district is now new people who don't know me. So I've got to get out there, meet those people, get that grassroots organization established. Once that grassroots organization is established, then we can use that, leverage that to to do fundraising. So uh, I have got to start earlier. John Delaney has the the freedom to take longer to make his decision, but if I wait until John Delaney uh, hits his critical decision point, uh, by that time it's too late for me. Uh, so I need to start now. Uh, I need to get things rolling. I need to uh, start building momentum, and then, um, and then, when he uh, is is ready to uh, make his decision and, and announce what his decision is, well, we'll find out at that time. But if I wait until then, uh, then then I don't have a chance. Yeah, I I understand, and I I, I get the strategy. Um, and people know your name, Andrew. People have voted for you. My grand- I remember my grandparents in 2006. They're registered Democrats. Um, they voted for you. They know who you are. And, well, tell um, them thank you and that I appreciate it. <laughs> tell them you were talking to me and that I told you to tell them personally thank you. I appreciate well, I, that. Well, of course. And I, I was actually living in Pittsburgh at the time when I was um, studying undergraduate. So I was a registered voter in the state of Pennsylvania. So – I um I couldn't vote in in Maryland, but um for a brief time there I lived in the city of Pittsburgh, so I was involved with Pittsburgh politics, which is a whole other conversation. Um, and it, <laughs> <laughs> but um, nonetheless, um, there was a lot of people excited about your campaign in 2006. If we all remember, was a year of change. That's when the Democrats 
um, elected the first female House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi. And I remember in college at the time when I was still a registered Republican, um, I worked for a guy that I'm so grateful is no longer in the United States Senate. His name is Rick Santorum, and I was doing an internship for him. And, you know, I'm thinking back, why did I ever work for this guy? But it was a great experience. I enjoyed my opportunity to be part of his senatorial, official senatorial um, office in downtown Pittsburgh. In fact, I used to drive Rick Santorum when he was in, in Pittsburgh around to different appointments as his intern. That was a unique experience, and it led me to vehemently root against him when he ran for president a few years <laughs> later. Um, but people know your name, Andrew. In fact, um, Democrats like um, former Senator Barbara Mikulski and Congressman Van Hollen and Ron Young and Jennifer Dougherty, they all supported you. Organized labor groups supported you, including um, the AFL-CIO and the Teachers Association and National Education Association. So I don't see you having any issues with building that name recognition. The only thing is, is that you have to introduce yourself to the new portion of the 6th Congressional District, which is Montgomery County and that large swath, like you said earlier, down the Potomac. Um, so that that that's um, that might be a, a feat, but I, I have confidence that um, all the candidates will be will have some sort of introducing themselves, like State Senator Roger Mana, who's considering running, would have to introduce himself to Brunswick City residents because they don't probably know who who he is, or Bill Frick or David Trone. So there's there's some challenges, and I think that you have already that established base. What do you think? Um, I I think you are correct. Uh, that's that's part of what. Uh, encourages me to run and it's really that established base that's encouraging me to run these people who have voted for me in the past uh are are saying look we really want you to run again uh we we realized that when you ran before it was a very different district and you you we i'm really proud of what we did uh during those campaigns because as I, as we were discussing before the the shape of the district was one in which if you had a d behind your name you were it was virtually impossible for you to win uh but what we did is we changed we went out and did the grassroots organization that you need to do to build a party we actually increased the number of Democrats who were registered in the district by 9%. So uh, it was that kind of shift that actually led the state legislature to take a look at how they were doing this and that it wasn't uh, – that w this should not be regarded as a throwaway district, uh, that there was potential here. And, and people uh, got motivated. I mean, I, when I ran – uh, I actually did almost 10% better than the, the guy who had run two years before me uh, the, the first time I ran because uh, we were out there working on the ground, building uh, some momentum. And so the challenge that I have this time is it's not necessarily the same district, uh, and 50% of the population is still the people that, that knew me and that I, w I, I did well with, 
but there's another 50% that's in Montgomery County that I, I need to reach. And, and you're right, there's nobody who owns that other 50%. Uh, you've got a half a dozen candidates, all of whom uh, are, have some sort of base somewhere in Montgomery County, but they're not, there's no one candidate who is known throughout uh, all of that, that area. So uh, I need to get down in there and and introduce myself. And I mean that's what that's what politics is all about: going out, yeah. meeting people, telling your story, uh, talking about the things you've done in your life, uh, and how you want to continue. To me, I served my country for 20 years in uniform. I just want to continue that service in another capacity. Um, and yeah. and that's something that people are very receptive to. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, I, I probably hadn't said it before, but I, I want to thanks, thank you again for your service to our country that um, I come from a military family. I work for a veteran owned and operated company down in Montgomery County. I work for a retired rear admiral um, and we we um, I work for an aging in place technology company. So we deal a lot with veterans, a lot with the elderly and people who need some help um, and they're as they're aging in our life. And uh, it's, it's an honor each and every day to talk to military veterans, uh, to, to be surrounded by them. And there's just a heightened level of character and integrity. And um, so I, I sincerely appreciate your service. My grandfather was a retired, um, he served 38 years in the Air Force. He was at um, 167 Airlift Wing over in Martinsburg, West Virginia. And uh, my oh. grandfather... As a World War II veteran, uh, he was in the U.S. Army, and uh, I'm I'm really proud of him. And uh, so, let's talk some politics. The Democratic Party, um, I would say, let suffered me, a defeat. Let me just let me hit one more thing on the sure. the service. Yes, I uh, I appreciate your your thanks. And by the way, thank you for taking care of uh, people in our community and helping them to stay in their homes. I appreciate that's a, a form of public service as well. Oh, thanks. Um, but I will tell you, it was an honor and a privilege to represent this country uh, in uh, around the world in foreign countries. There is nothing uh, to me that's a greater honor than to be able to walk down the streets of a foreign country representing what I believe is truly the greatest country in the history of mankind. Um, and and I always remember, and I'll, I'll remember till the day I die, uh, during my second deployment uh, to Bosnia, I was stationed in Mostar. And there was a an old woman, she was a, a Bosniak, uh, one of the Muslims there, in a city that had been taken over by the Croatians. Um, and she was walking down the street, and she was looking with her head down. And she was very, you know, very concerned not to make eye contact, not to offend anybody. And when she looked up and she saw me and another person walking down the sidewalk, all of a sudden she could hold her head up, and she walked without being afraid for the first time in years. And I will tell you that's not because it says duck over one name tag. It's because over the other pocket, on the other tag, of the other tape, it says U.S. Army. And I will tell you it, has been an, it was an honor and a privilege for
for me to wear that uniform. I'm grateful for all of the Americans who allowed me to represent them, and and I want to say thank you for allowing me to do that because uh, it's it's something that I do take uh, pride in, and and I couldn't do it without the fact that there's a whole bunch of people uh, in this country that allowed me to represent them. So now you want to talk politics? Uh, <laughs> let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. The the Democratic Party in 2016 suffered a defeat in Hillary Clinton's um, losing the, the presidential race against what I believe is arguably one of the most immoral, uh, inconceivable, and ridiculous candidates that has now come to define what the current Republican Party is today. Um, Andrew, I recently left the Republican Party because um, as, a Repu- as a former Republican – um, and I would classify myself as a libertarian, moderate. I don't know. There's so many different adjectives and labels, but um, I, I just believe that the government should leave me the hell alone and stay out of my business. And it sort of defines my 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 philosophy of how I approach issues. I think that the states um, are great incubators of freedom, and I believe that much of what the states can do that the federal government does that I think the states can handle. However, um, I think that we've lost a fundamental discourse in our politics today. It's become mean. It's become nasty. And it's energized by both extremes. And there's no seemingly middle ground where people can talk and compromise. Um, And that's the point of politics is to compromise, to come together, to focus on issues, and to make the best deal possible um, and we are enslaved to partisanship, and um, a lot of that had carried over to the 2016 election. And by far, I'm 31 years old, and I've been following politics since I was about 18, 17. Um, that was by far the turning point in my life where I noticed that our dialogue, our politics, I've never seen it nastier. I've never seen it more hateful, the venom and the loss of substance, Andrew, there was so much substance that was lost in this last campaign. And what about our kids that watched these debates, that watched the, the tenor of the campaign, how the candidates conduct themselves? Um, and I'm just distraught about what has happened. However, well, with all that said, we've, we've elected, in my opinion, we have elected this country – the worst possible person to ever occupy the presidency in the history of our country. Now we can argue there's other been really bad presidents. There's been times in history, but the most unqualified and somebody that daily Andrew I'm embarrassed of, and I'm looking to the democratic party to which you're a member of to come back and say, we can't accept this. This is unacceptable. I'm looking at the Republican party to say, we're going to stop laying down for this person and all that he's done to, <laughs> you know, maybe not intentionally destroy the the very fabric of our institutions of government, but simply help them exacerbate or move to the road of uh, of just implausibility. So, what's your take on so, politics of today and the whole election between Trump and candidate Hillary Clinton? Well, I I share your dismay 
at the uh, at both the state of discourse in this country and with the situation that we find ourselves in uh, in terms of the leadership that we're currently experiencing. I think one of the key things that you you emphasized that so many other people miss was you you talked about the lack of substance. Uh, Everybody picked up on the hatred, the vitriol, the uh, divisiveness that was shown. But the reason that we went to that place is because we really have lost the substance of what uh, the our political system is tr- is trying to do, and part of the problem that we have is both parties, uh, Republican and Democrat, have been captured by the corporatists, uh, the corporate class. Um, one of the challenges that we have is uh, we've got a a system that thrives off of money. The political system, if you you want to run for Congress, you've got to raise millions of dollars in order to reach the 750,000 people in a congressional district. If you're trying to raise millions of dollars, it sure is helpful to have millions of dollars in your pocket that you can just shell out and spend. Uh, If not, you've got to go begging to someone who has thousands of dollars to give to you, and if you can get a thousand people who are all going to give you two thousand five hundred dollars or two thousand seven hundred dollars this cycle uh... then you can get to that number so now you've got to find people who are willing to fund that campaign and what that has led to is a government that is controlled by special interests and lobbyists all of whom are focused on getting their particular loophole through so that they can make a profit off of the investment that they make in the politicians. Um, And that has happened on both sides of the aisle. I'm not saying this to attack the Republicans. Uh, The same thing has happened in the Democratic Party. And the problem with that is now when it comes to doing anything of substance – you're both beholden to the same paymasters. So now the only difference between someone with an R behind their name and someone with a D behind their name is the personality. And so now you get into the hatred and vitriol to try to make them hate the other person less than they hate you. Um, And it's been magnified by the fact that we no longer have the – I mean, we used to have – uh, major newspapers and three major uh, television channels. Right, you had three networks, and then you had the major newspapers. Uh, right. We have now we now get our information from thousands of different sources with the internet. I mean, look at this. We're doing a, a radio broadcast over the internet. Yeah. Uh, the, what this allows people to do is pick and choose what news they want to listen to. And so we've diverged. And those people that want to listen to MSNBC, listen to MSNBC, and they go to Daily Costs, and they go to all of the liberal websites, 
those people that want to listen to Fox News, listen to Fox News and Alex Jones and whoever else, you know, Sean Hannity and all of their websites. Uh, and the two groups don't even talk to each other. That is the that is a fundamental problem that we're experiencing in our society, where you've got two different uh, parts of our society that don't even talk to one another. That's one of the reasons why uh, I I will go out and talk to conservative or libertarian or any type of person, regardless of where they're on the the spectrum. Uh, I, uh, I, for the last several years, uh, would go in every other Friday to WFMD in Frederick uh, on Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 just to talk to those conservatives, those hard right, hard line conservatives who are never going to vote for a Democrat in their life (laughs) or rarely vote for a Democrat. And I thought it was important to talk to them so that I could explain what it is that Democrats really think and that Democrats aren't the boogeyman that they think they are, uh, and to recognize that that the far right is not the boogeyman that most Democrats think they are. Uh, to me, I grew up around here. The people that I went to high school with, many of them are Republicans. Uh, some of them are Democrats. But they're the same people I went to high school with. I grew up with these people. I know these people. They're good people, regardless yeah. of their political affiliation. Uh, and and to say we're going to hate the other side and we're not going to talk to them and we won't have anything to do with them is exactly the wrong answer. I think the first thing that we need to do at a time like this is make sure that we keep the lines of communication open. And right. we might not agree, but if we can at least talk. That's the first step. So there's, you you intend to run an issues-based campaign, and I was just scrolling through your website, and you have a on the issues page where um, if people check out your website at duckforcongress.org, they can um, learn more about your positions. And you, as a congressman in the 6th Congressional District, have an opportunity, being that we are practically in the backyard of Washington, D.C., Andrew, um, you, you, you know, you get to see things up close and personal and, um, you know, part of your platform is that you're going to resist Trump's effort to move us backwards. And we are seeing something I think that we haven't seen for some time now. And that's just a president who can't tell the truth, who is distracted by his Twitter account, um, who is constantly, uh, I guess shifting from one disastrous headline to the next. And, you know, earlier in the uh, Saturday Night Live season, they did a skit where um, it was about, the, it's called the People's Court. And it's really funny. I can send the, uh, the link to you. And they had this imitation Judge Judy, who was an SNL cast member, and she, she was in the courtroom. And Alec Baldwin was, was, of course, playing Trump. And she said, Can we just wake up one day without a headline that scares the hell out of us? Um, and it's true. It's true because look at I'm reading your website. We talk about religious freedom, but apparently that doesn't extend to our Muslim friends. We talk about due process for immigrants, but it doesn't it doesn't actually extend to our friends from down in Mexico. We talk about Republicans like to often talk about um, 
Obama's executive orders. How many executive orders has Donald Trump himself pushed through? Um, and that's supposed to be considered an accomplishment. And then we get to the Russia situation, and that, that could take us an hour to talk about, but we'll hopefully keep it within an acceptable time frame. Um, you saw that I assume you saw the testimony of Jim Comey um, last week or two weeks ago. I I did, um, and and I think okay. I I have some problems with uh, Director Comey's performance in office, uh, and I I don't think he's been perfect, but I think he is genuinely attempting to do the right thing. Uh, and when it comes to do I believe what Jim Comey said or would I believe what uh, our our current president is saying, I don't even think our current president understands that there is such a thing as truth. No, he doesn't. Uh, I mean, and you it's actually been – I mean, what is it that uh, Kellyanne Conway said? It says, no, you present your facts, and then I prevent, present alternative facts. <laughs> it's like, no, no, there's not – facts and alternative facts there are there's truth and there are things that are not true um and and i'm not sure that that donald trump is even uh aware sometimes that when he says things that are just patently false that there's such a thing as a falsehood i think he believes says something often enough it becomes true i i agree and i think if he get, if he continues to say it and he believes it then he's living in his own alternative reality um so it, it's just every day every day is something different i mean we wake up today and he's tweeting out a rasmussen poll that has him at 50 percent. what president in their right mind would consider 50% of the country vehemently disliking you and the other 50%. And that's not – we all know that Rasmussen is an outlier poll. So my question to you, Andrew, is we send you to Washington, and you represent the good people of our 6th Congressional District. And by the way, I live down in North Potomac. I grew up in Hagerstown, but we're, we're still part of the 6th District. And we want to know that we'll have a fighter not only um, – you know, as, as for your party, the Democrats, and but we want to know that I want to know as an is a registered now independent that you will do everything within your power as a United States congressman to fight back against Trump and his agenda and all that comes with it, and that includes taking on Republicans who simply believe, who simply refuse to believe that there are certain <laughs> stated facts that exist. And we're talking like issues on, on the lines of Republicans continue to deny that climate change does not exist. It does exist. We know it exists because scientists tell us that, and we continue to believe, and some Republicans continue to believe that it's nothing more than a hoax. This is nonsense. This is logic, and I hope that we can trust you to go to Washington to fight back against that. I want a fighter down there, and that's what I'm hoping that you would do. I've I spent 20 years in the United States Army. Uh, tell you what, if you want a fighter, I'm a fighter, uh, and that hopefully uh, I'm I'm relieved by the fact that I now get to fight in ways other than with physical force. 
but tell you that throughout my Army career, I was always uh, one who stood up and spoke the truth, even if my boss didn't want to hear it. Uh, and and you're going to get a fighter when I go down to Washington. And in particular, I agree with your assessment of Donald Trump. I believe Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. He's a threat to our democracy in the United States in the the way that he is, uh, you know, making edicts that are clearly unconstitutional. Uh, and he's a threat to the world democracy when he says. Uh, that he's considering pulling back from NATO and that he's reluctant to uh, say that we're going to defend uh, other democracies around the world. When he tells, uh, or he has Nikki Haley as ambassador to the U.N. say the future of Syria will be decided by the Syrian people, which is in essence giving permission to the dictator there to gas people. Um, he fails to comprehend what the words mean, and that threatens democracies, uh, not just here at home, but around the world. And I'm somebody who's put my life on the line to defend democracy, to defend many of those democracies around the world. I've been in Germany. I stood in the full of the gap. I looked across to what was then East Germany and I knew that I was there because if the Russians wanted to come and deny West Germany their freedom, I was there to stop it. I sir, I've been to Korea. I stood in Panmunjom. I stood 20 feet away from North Korean soldiers, uh, and we were there to ensure that North Korea did not sweep down through the rest of the Korean Peninsula and deny democracy to the people of the Republic of Korea. Uh, I will fight in Washington with as much uh, vigor and emotion and commitment as I have for 20 years in uniform. And when it comes to the Russian meddling in the election, uh, during, my second, uh, during my last deployment to Bosnia, I served as the chief of the counterintelligence operations cell for multinational division North, which had a Russian brigade. I think we need somebody in Congress today who knows counterintelligence and knows how to apply it to the Russians. I will promise you I will fight for all of those things. Oh, that's good to know, and that would be a, a, much-needed, yeah, a much-needed characteristic and uh, applicable skill in Washington. So, Andrew, you've let me, traveled Let me touch all on one other thing. You mentioned yeah, climate change, um, and one of the other pieces of my bio, uh, once I, uh, after 2010, uh, I didn't run in 2012. I had some, some health issues, and it was clear that, that uh, you know, my goal had been, honestly, to, uh, to I was disappointed with Roscoe Bartlett's leadership, and it was clear that that, that was going to change. Um, so for the last four years, in particular, I actually have spent a lot of my, my spare time, instead of on politics, working as the director of operations for a small company that's doing research in green energy. Uh, hmm. When it comes to climate change, I think it's not good enough to just say, oh, climate change is real and somebody ought to do something about it. I've actually spent the last four years working with a small company that's developing conductive polymers for green energy uses. 
so this way we can take some of the materials being used in solar panels that rely on rare earths and try to replace them with something that's made from organic chemistry. We've gotten two patents on our semiconductor uh, polymer technology, and those two patents are an example of the kind of technological breakthroughs that we need to see. It's not going to be one solution. We're going to need to have a hundred or a thousand different solutions that in order to really move us from the fossil fuels that we've been tied to to something that will allow renewable energy to be stored and make it effective uh, that we could use long term. We've gotten the cost of solar down about the same as coal. We need to be able to store that energy now, and so that's the next step. I've been working for the last four years on the research to help us do that. So uh, whether we're fighting, uh, whether I was fighting in terms of actually being a part of the military force, whether I'm fighting down in Washington, or whether I'm working actually mixing chemicals in a laboratory trying to create new materials, it's all part of the fight that we need to make this world a better place, and I'm committed to do it. We, you've traveled around the 6th District, so you understand the needs specific to Western Maryland, to Frederick County, uh, to Montgomery County. And when you talk to people, Democrats and Republicans, what are they telling you? What are you hearing, and what are their concerns about Washington? Um, the number one concern right now, I think, uh, not just in the 6th District, but everywhere in the country, is health care. Uh, health care is a critical thing. Everybody needs it. Everybody can relate to that. And we know that the system that we have now isn't working. Uh, the system that we had before Obamacare wasn't working, which is why we got o- o- Obamacare, uh, which is why I support uh, taking the system that does work, Medicare, and we need to improve that and expand it to cover all Americans. Uh, every other industrialized nation in the world has some sort of similar program. It's the only one that works. Because if you try to say we're going to have an insurance program that when you get sick, uh, you're covered, the problem with that is if you get sick, the insurance company drops you because you're no longer a profitable investment for them. Uh, So we know that the current model just doesn't work. It can't work. We've never been able to make it work anywhere in the world. So let's go ahead and take what we do know works, which is Medicare, and let's expand that uh, so that we get a system that works for everybody. That's what people are tell- that's what people are concerned about. They want to have health care. They want to make sure that if they get sick, they don't become bankrupt. And, and so that's their number one issue. The second thing, uh, quite honestly, is Donald Trump. I mean, they're concerned about where our country's headed. And so, uh, yeah, I promise to fight vigorously on that. And the third thing that I hear uh, is concern on a global scale about climate change. Um, then we have a whole host of, of po- things particular to the 6th District. Much of that has to do with transportation. Uh, mm. Also, jobs. And I think those two can go hand in hand. If we're fixing our transportation needs, we're creating jobs. Uh, I also believe that we need to uh, do more to put money in the pockets of the working people uh, because that's what's really going to grow our economy. So 
did that uh, I, I I hit a whole bunch of stuff, but that's because <laughs> different people have different concerns. No, I think you uh, I think you covered it, and the the issue that that you're going to face um, in the sixth district in that it's split because you have Republicans that dominate the the western counties, Garrett, Allegheny. Um, Washington, and then major portions of Frederick, and then Frederick City is very Democratic, as well as most of Montgomery County. Um, and there's a divide. There's many people who believe that Donald Trump is doing a great job as president, and then down where we live, there's my neighbors and friends, and we often talk politics. There's plenty of people who don't believe that he's doing a, a great job as president. They may not have been totally happy voting for Hillary Clinton, but you know, you go back to the best, the, the the least worst person that uh, you could vote for, and and I hate to say that because um, there are many great qualities of um, a Secretary Clinton in some respects. And my Republican friends are listening; they're going to shout "Rhino." They really can't say that anymore because I'm no longer Republican. Um, <laughs> but you know, I think that people are looking for a, a member of Congress to go down and put substance first to set aside the hard partisanship and be able to work across the aisle with their colleagues, kind of like Congressman Delaney has done and you know, working with uh, on things like infrastructure, which is an important function, especially in Montgomery County, because we're trying to figure out solutions to fix the mess that is 270. Andrew, you've probably traveled many times in your I life. I do, on, every day. Yeah, and, and you know how much of a pain that – the traffic buildup can take years off of your life. It can be. It's a major pain. Um, and we're coming up with bipartisan solutions um, for veterans uh, to work with individuals who need health care, uh, to work to fix the VA. That, that is a major issue that Congress Absolutely. should tackle. And I, I think someone like yourself who has the background and the military experience, you understand the ins and outs of – the the inner workings of the military and how they serve veterans and let's face it and be honest with ourselves quite frankly the va is just not working it's not and how can we take care if we can't take care of our nation's veterans i think the bigger question the logical question here would be then how can we entrust that the government take care of one i think it's one-fifth of our economy that isn't very 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 important to me especially yeah and and so let's talk about our veterans because they deserve better care than they're getting through the VA system. And, I, and, and I, that's, a, in a way, unfair. Uh, they deserve more consistent care because there, there are some examples of excellence within the VA, but there are also examples of, of absolute failure. And what we need, to me, that's a failure of leadership. That's a failure of somebody establishing and maintaining standards. That's what, in the military, there's a standard. You do inspections. You go. You work. You ensure that everybody understands what the standard is and that everybody's working to meet that standard. And the VA has absolutely failed on that point. And we need to ensure that those standards are met universally. It's not good enough to have pockets of excellence. We need to have uh, quality care across the board. I will tell you, uh, as a retired military person, I get my medical care through the military medical system. 
And I will tell you that the military medical system is not perfect, as no system is perfect, but it's better than the care I got when I was on the economy, as they would say, because I spent uh, about five years after I admitted, uh, right after I retired, where I was going to the civilian medical practitioners. And I will tell you that the care that we got from civilian practitioners wasn't perfect, uh, and the, we get much better care right now. I get most of my care through Walter Reed uh, Army Medical Center. It's a fantastic hospital. So uh, it's not that the, a government-run system can't work. It's that we don't want, uh, but I do understand the desire not to become uh, dependent on that. And that's why the Medicare model, I think, is a good one where you're going to civilian providers, but it, the administrative cost is much lower because it's all handled in a uniform manner. Uh, everybody's getting paid the same amount uh, rather than the system now. Now you go into the doctor, you have three people go to the same doctor for the exact same problem, get the exact same treatment. But if you're a Medicare patient, you pay one thing, if you are an insurance pay patient, you pay whatever that insurance company has negotiated. And if you're a private pay patient, you pay much, much more than everybody else. I've never seen a free enterprise system that works that way, where you, get, you charge three different customers three different prices for the exact same service. Yeah. That's not free enterprise. So uh, we need to recognize that the system as it is now uh, doesn't work, it's not fair, uh, and we need to come up with something better. As I mentioned earlier, there's many Republicans out there in good old Western Maryland, including where you live in Brunswick, and I want you to I want to ask you this question. Why should people in 2018 vote Democratic? Uh, they should vote Democratic because uh, right now uh, our country's democracy is being threatened by the current occupant of the White House, and we need people who are willing to stand up to them. And thus far, the Republicans haven't been willing to. That's number one. And number two, they really should vote for the person who is best for the job, regardless of party. And I will tell you, if you have a bad Democrat and a good Republican, and that good Republican is going to uh, take the right policy issues, and they're going to address climate change, and they're going to address health care, and they're going to address our transportation problems, and they're going to get the VA fixed, then if the Democrat can't do it, vote for the Republican. Uh, I'm not that committed to party that I'm going to harm my country. Um, and so I believe in my case, uh, when it comes to my particular race, I'm going to ask you to vote for me uh, I am a Democrat. I'm proud to be a Democrat. I think that, to me, the Democratic Party has always stood for helping the working man. The Democratic Party has always been about taking care of people. Uh, to me, the Republican Party has traditionally been about money. And if that's what your main focus is, then I understand that, and that kind of explains you know, my perspective of the difference of the parties. But as I said, both parties got captured by the big moneyed interests, by the multinational corporations, by the special interests. 
So now you need to find the candidate that's going to stand up and fight for you. I have fought for you, the voter, for over 20 years wearing a uniform. I want to continue to fight for you in Washington, working to make sure that those issues that you care about are being resolved. And that's the reason that I would ask you to vote for me. Uh, Yes, I've got a D behind my name. That shouldn't be your number one reason, although I'm proud to have it. I'm proud to associate myself with uh, many of the other people who have that behind their name. Uh, And and I will tell you that I I do support democracy, which is why I'm a Democrat. Uh, I know you said you're a libertarian, and and my view on libertarianism is this. Uh, I believe that the government should stay out of people's personal business. I just don't believe corporations are people. So I'm all about getting into corporate business. Well, we libertarians, and of course I'm not a registered libertarian. I'm a small libertarian um, who was an avid supporter of certain members of Congress, and Congressman Ron Paul really led a movement, but – he defied both parties when he ran back in 28, 2008, and then, two, and then again in 2012, and he has run prior to those two presidential campaigns. And, and Andrew, what I admired and still do about Congressman Paul is, is that he put liberty first and foremost at every decision he made in Congress. And you may disagree with Ron Paul on some economic issues. Um, I'm, you know, I'm a free market capitalist, and we can have a d- discussion about that at a different show. And I can tell you that why I believe in Ron Paul's style of politics is, is that one of the major issues is that he stood up and said, why the hell are we going to war with all of these countries? We're spending all of this money on entering these conflicts that we have no business ever being involved in, and he stood up against that Republican Party's almost ingrained philosophy that we should be at war with the entire world and that we should impose democracy on everybody else. We need to stay the hell out of all of these conflicts, and that to me struck a chord because I am tired of endless wars. I'm tired of spending billions of dollars on being involved in conflicts that, quite frankly, the United States should have no business ever being involved in. And so that's why – it's one of the major reasons why I, I supported his candidacy and continue to, to believe in his values. And like yourself, why are we giving tax breaks to Wall Street? Why, what about Main Street? So exactly. I, think there's a, you know, I think there's a lot of carryover there, and I'm a fierce civil libertarian, Andrew, and I believe that – if we cannot defend our Bill of Rights, starting at, you know, here at the local level and even up to Congress, then what is the use of the Constitution? I mean, the civil liberties we're talking about, very basic civil liberties. Our First Amendment, as a blogger, a radio journalist, and you know, we do the, I do this as a hobby, and just to be part of the conversation, to have a dialogue. But when you hear people like Donald Trump, consistently label legitimate news as fake news, calling them the enemy of the people, that is when we the people have to stop and say, you will not destroy the, the fourth estate of our, of our government, 
the press. They keep people honest. They tell the truth. They present the best side of the story and the facts, and they, he's not going to be able to tear down this side of our, of our longstanding tradition of what we know as the, as the press. I'm sorry. I'm not going to allow that to happen. I just won't, Andrew. I won't allow it to I happen. Will stand with you. I will stand with you and fight to protect the press. Uh, just as I will stand with uh, the people who are fighting for freedom of religion, and that's all religions, uh, just as I will stand with the people who are asking for equality under the law for our, all people, regardless of, of race or creed or ethnicity or gender, uh, I will stand with the people who are fighting for those freedoms. Because that's, I mean, that to me was what my military service was about. I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And honestly, I believe that we have more domestic enemies uh, right now than, than we ever have had in my lifetime, and it concerns me. Um, and and you, you talked about uh, a free market economy. Um, I'm a firm believer in free enterprise, and I think free enterprise requires competition in order to work. And one of our problems that we have in our country today is that we've lost the competition between companies. The multinational corporations uh, are, are, are all – they're not about building a better mousetrap. They're about buying up every other mousetrap producer so that they can jack the price up. Uh, and we need to reintroduce competition into the marketplace, and we need to have uh, a, a system that encourages – a long-term perspective instead of a perspective. Right now, the, our market is driving everybody to short-term profits because why would you? Why does the CEO care whether the company's profitable three years from now? He's not going to be there three years from now. And you'd think the board of directors would be a check on that CEO, but the board of directors is made up of a bunch of people who just bought the stock last year. They only bought it, they only plan to be in there for a year or two, get the stock price to pop, and then they're dumping that stock. Uh, and so we've gotten to the point where uh, our, our free market system uh, has lost the competition it used to have. It's lost a long-term perspective, and we need to work at, at fixing that system and making sure it, it, it gets restored. I'd love to come back and have a whole conversation with you just about – We sure will. Uh, market economy well we sh we certainly can do that and um you know we've we've gone past an hour and uh i'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up and i always like to wrap it up on an anecdote um so you know you've campaigned for this seat before and moving forward i i always like for candidates to tell me about an experience that they've had on the campaign trail that may have truly changed uh, their perspective or have met someone that has really influenced them in a way that uh, they like to share that is important. So it's, it's a journey that you're embarking on that is, is unique, and most people in their lives may never run for any elected office, nonetheless Congress. But um, if, could you share an experience that you have had on the campaign trail 
in the past or maybe even the present that has I'd, really changed I'd, you? I'd love to, and I, I know just the story uh, that, that sticks with me. Uh, I, I mean, I told you the story about the woman in, in uh, Mostar, uh, which is one that sticks with me from a military career. What sticks with me the most from uh, having been involved in politics is a little girl who was about eight years old in Hagerstown. Uh, I was uh, running for Congress and was in a, the Halloween parade in Hagerstown. And so it's, it's dark, uh, getting dark, and we're going down the street and we're throwing out little ducks uh, to people and handing out literature and giving stickers to uh, as many people as will take them. Uh, and there's this eight-year-old girl at the side of the road who just starts jumping up and down and says, it's really him, it's really him, <laughs> and and I'm looking, and I go over to talk to her and her mom, and she's jumping up and she says, I was you, and we won, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I'm a little confused, uh, and her mother explains that the week before, at her elementary school, everybody had to pick a particular candidate, study on that candidate, and then they'd have a little mini-debate, and the class would vote as to which student they thought presented the best case for their candidate. Uh, and she had chosen me uh, as her candidate, and she talked about my military service and, uh, and that I was running for Congress, and the kids in her class all voted for her, uh, and to see the enthusiasm and the excitement uh, for somebody who this was her first uh, it, it, example of learning about politics, uh, and to see that that enthusiasm was uh, just wonderful. And I want to try to inspire that much enthusiasm in as many voters as I can all across the district. Yeah. Andrew, you're a stand-up guy. I really appreciate you taking the time, especially on Father's Day, to come on and, and have a conversation. And I look forward to our future conversations and uh, having a dialogue about issues, about what's going on in politics. And uh, hopefully, you know, look, I, I'm on a mission here um, to, to, in, to improve our political dialogue, uh, to, to remain civil and to promote civility. Um, and some people might say that's cliche or that's just not possible in politics, but I really think it is. And I think it starts having at, at having these types of discussions. So thanks for doing this tonight. I really appreciate it. Um, I appreciate you having me on. Uh, I, I tell you, I, I, I want to walk down that path with you. I agree we need civility in politics. Uh, that doesn't mean you don't have to agree on everything. It means you have to be willing to discuss the issues uh, openly and honestly, uh, and and be upfront and honest where you disagree. Uh, and we can even, you know, to me, compromise is not a dirty word. Uh, but to me, the way it works is you fight for your your side, and then after you get done fighting, you say, okay, where can we agree and and where can we compromise and what can we do to move ahead where we can come out with maybe neither one of us get what we want, but we both get something that's better than what we've got now. Um, right. And and that's, uh, that's you know, where I want to be. Uh, I, I'm a 
common sense, practical guy, uh, and and I'd be happy to walk down that road of civility with you. Well, thank you, Andrew. And one final thing, where can people learn more about you and your campaign? Absolutely. Well, they can go to my website at uh, duckforcongress.org. They can also uh, find my website on Facebook at uh, aduck2018. Um, and uh, either one of those is, is a great way to, uh, to get in touch with me. They can follow me on Twitter at Andrew J. Duck. Uh, and so we've got all of those set up. Uh, we're working on uh, reestablishing a YouTube channel so I can get uh, some video content out there, but we don't have that, uh, that up and running yet. So uh, just hit the website, and we'll have everything linked from there. Sounds good. Andrew, thanks again. Happy Father's Day, and I wish you a great week. And the same to you. It's been a pleasure, and uh, be happy to uh, talk to you further about the specific issues. All right. Well, I'll take you up on that, and uh, once again, we appreciate you coming on. So that was Andrew Duck of uh, Maryland's 6th Congressional District. He's a Democratic candidate running in the Democratic primary, first Democrat to file. And once again, you can find him online um, at uh, duckforcongress.org. Um, had a few opportunities to interact with Andrew at various events, and so check him out. So I appreciate that. Uh, appreciate him coming on and wanted to say um, a little special tribute. Um, it's Father's Day, and uh, I am so blessed to be part of two wonderful children's, their life, to, to be able to have some influence and to mold them into uh, people. And um, there's no greater gift that I've ever been given to be part of Josh and Paige's life to uh, to walk them through the 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 rough and tumble of the daily grind that is life, and um, I'm hoping that uh, there will be many more years to come. Um, my dad, his name is Brian, and uh, he and I are very close, and uh, he is <laughs> he's a one of a kind. He's a truly spectacular human being. Um, great outlook on life. Um, just a all around great person grew up in Boonesboro, Maryland. And, uh, he's, he's a good old boy from, from Boonesboro who keeps it simple. And that's what I love most about my dad. Um, and, uh, he's just taught me a lot about life, about music. We loved Led Zeppelin. He's, um, he's a great man. And, um, my grandfather's as well. Um, I wish that my one grandfather, um, Robert Scott Minor, was still around. He passed on in 2009. And uh, my grandfather, my other grandfather, Carol Richard Han, he is nine, going on 92 in July. And I, I just, I, I'm, I'm blessed. These are just men that are from a generation where you just don't find. These are men's men that did right by their family. Um, served a purpose and was just steady, solid human beings. You know, you can't get them better than that. And that generation is just to be longed for. So to the dads out there, thanks for all that you do. Um, and uh, I wish you all a great week. Stay cool. It's 
it's warm out there. So have a great week.